Paul, thank you so much for coming on to Startup Steroid. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, before we even hit record, we ended up talking for over half hour just to sort of uh, catch up and do, learn about all of those things. So I'm excited to get into your story. Uh, but before we get into the specifics, tell us a little bit about your background and introduce yourself to the audience. Sure. Well, first of all, I'll come to currently Atlanta's home. It's been home for 22 plus years. Our kids and grandkids live here. So if occasionally I get to sound like the Chamber of Commerce for Atlanta, thanks <laughs> to my background, you'll know why. We love it here uh, and it is home for us. Uh, America's been a great place. It turns out that I grew up in India uh, through undergrad school, did my bachelor's degree, etc. And uh, was leaving for a 90-day holiday to the UK to visit my father who'd emigrated there. And so it turned out that that, that 90 days became forever. Uh, I've now lived in the US, it turns out two and a half X when I lived in India, but I do have that, uh, that heritage. In the UK, I ended up working as an accountant at a University of London hospital and then did my MBA there. But I wanted to teach. I come from a family of educators and so that's in our blood. Came here to do my doctoral work, uh, started of all places in Louisiana, which if you've never been to is a wonderful place, despite all the floods and all the other things we read about, et cetera. The people are just so warm, so wonderful. Uh, but having always lived in big cities, uh, turns out that after a couple of years of doing my coursework, I wanted to go to big cities. So I took up a teaching job at Cal State in, in the Los Angeles area. So I did that for a couple of years teaching in business school, and it's always been what I call my first and last career is teaching. Love to learn, love to teach with uh, college kids. Uh, my second career from there, because we don't pay teachers enough, uh, I got into high tech of all things, worked for 20 plus years in IBM, Xerox, et cetera, field career, customer uh, focus, et cetera, product launches worldwide. We did incredible things that now, as I look back, probably, would have been a whole lot easier today, launching in 120 countries simultaneously with mainframes and mainframe software uh, without the internet existing, <laughs> et cetera. But got out of all of that, uh, thought that uh, I'd start my entrepreneurship career, which I did as a consultant, working with small and medium companies to help them grow fast. Uh, all of them wanted to hire me. I said yes to the last one, and that brought me back to Atlanta. So moved here in 1998 and worked in banking of all things. So didn't know anything about banking other than we're all customers. Uh, learned a great deal and then we started our own bank as an entrepreneur, three other partners and I. I thought I was retiring, going back to teaching. These other guys came to me and said, you know, I hear you're retiring from the bank. Will you help us do our own? I thought, oh, okay, fine, I'll help you for two weeks. Uh, three months later, we opened our own bank. Uh, we made no money. It was nine, 2007, <laughs> worst time of all. We made, we paid ourselves nothing. All our wives said, now tell me again why you did this <laughs> thing. But it turned out two years later, it was great, great cash flow. So I decided to retire again badly. 2017, sold my interest to my partners uh, and started to work even more on the Thai board here in Atlanta, which has been very fulfilling. Uh, and now run a VC firm as a co-founder and partner called 1111 Ventures. Uh, but still do a lot. So that's a lot of background, but uh, you know, when you got to stick 40 plus years into a few minutes, that's the best I can do. No, absolutely. And such a fantastic story. And I think the running thread throughout uh, the entire story 
was that uh, love of education and wanting to share what you know with the next generation. Uh, I, I think that that's such an important thing. And that's really how we connected, right, through Thai and, and uh, our work with Thai University. You ha- uh, held a fantastic competition for university students there last week. So I was honored to be a part of that. Um, so thank you again for sharing that background and coming on today. Um, let's talk a little bit about the angel work that you're doing, uh, uh, specifically with uh, Thai Atlanta Angels. Um, and uh, you, you're connecting with a lot of founders. Uh, tell us about the role you're playing and what the, what the goal of that uh, work is. The Thai Atlanta Angels got started a little bit by serendipity. I'd gone to a Thai global meeting where the day before TaiCon starts uh, in mm-hmm. Southern California, they bring together leadership from different boards. Um, and I think we were probably pitching about how well Thai University was going in the Atlanta area. But I kept hearing these other chapters boast, correctly so, about angel groups. And I didn't know what that meant and what it was. And I was thinking, boy, this must be a religious organization <laughs> or, or something. Who knows, right? I'd written angel checks, but jokingly, I came back and I asked the then president, I said, all these other groups are so proud of the good work. How come they're not doing, we're not doing Thai angels here in the Atlanta area. And he said, Paul, I have all the slides, I have all the documents, I have the membership agreements, I have the operating plans. We've tried it twice, but you know, Indians love to talk and not write checks. So I said, guess what? We're going to fix it. Now we know the problem. We can figure out the solution. So literally the following month, we ran an educational effort, et cetera. This was summer of 2017. And here we are, 22 investments later uh, in three and a half years, Seven point seven and a quarter million dollars. Uh, it's one of the thriving aspects of the Thai Atlanta chapter. And last That's year, very proud to say that collectively, uh, by the way, we have four co-chairs, but collectively, uh, we were awarded the best angel chapter in the entire ecosystem. That's fantastic. And yeah, I've, I've heard of the you know amazing work that you're doing there. Um, the next uh, thing I, I think on the agenda is, you know, you're, you're also getting involved with not just the equity deals, but also the debt deals, um, which is a, a, an area that a lot of angels don't know a lot about, uh, tend to sort of not get involved with. Tell us how you sort of learned about that and how, you know, how you sort of got involved with uh, well, debt investment. If there are founders listening to us, I, I want the founders to know it's not always right to give away your company. I know it's clearly... Uh, you know, what people think of is, can I bootstrap and therefore keep 100% of the ownership? Always, as a VC, I tell people, that's the first option. <laughs> don't come to us, don't take our money, don't give away any part of our company. We're happy to help you with mentoring, with all these other things that Ty and others do. Uh, and we're glad to do that. But if in fact, you can bootstrap or you want to really accelerate your growth, sometimes you do have to go, say, I need a million, right? I always say, you always have to ask yourself, why not debt versus equity? And so founders don't even always consider debt because in the startup world, you need all these collaterals and going to the bank and getting an SBA loan sounds a whole lot easier than it is. So it turned out that one of the other time members was starting a fintech company and said, you know what? We're actually doing pretty well. We don't need any equity at all. We've got enough money for operating, but as a fintech company, we want to loan out millions of dollars and can you raise capital for it? And we said, how do we put this together? So that became our first 
a debt deal. And we put together a structure that said, I wanted three things on behalf of the investors. And these are the three, I call them the trifecta of, dot, of tech deals where it becomes a win-win. We want to have a very known term. See, one of the issues of equity deals is we tell people it's eight to 10 years and we have no clue whether we're going to be wrong on that. Some could be three years, some could take 12 years, some could be never, right? This is a defined period, three years. So as a founder, as an investor, that's nice to know. Very defined term. I can look out and understand my cash flow. Number two is I want to be able to have returns that are good for the founder to give out and good for the investor. Typically, I tell people, find some number in that you know 12-ish kind of percent, depending on tiers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, so that's known and that's good because too many times I'm, you know, as an investor, I'm earning two, three, four, five percent, maybe more if I've been in the stock market, but that's not forever. This is a known, you know, 12, 15 percent kind of deal. And then the third part is, can you collateralize it in some way? And if you can collateralize it, we've constructed a number of ways to collateralize. Uh, we've now done three large, large, I mean, easily seven figures, well into seven figures kind of numbers of investments via these deals, if they have these three things in it. So. Fantastic. And, and from an investor perspective, you're, you're right that this sort of lowers that risk threshold tremendously. Um, because, you know, being an angel investor, you're right, we're, we're investing for 7, 10, 12 years, not really knowing where our money is going to come right. back from. Uh, uh, by having a fixed term and having a fixed return, I think that that's fantastic. Um, let's talk well, about the other that. part I'd yeah. tell you is that, uh, and I know we talked about it before, and maybe you're going to get to it, is we found mechanisms to be able to take monies from retirement accounts or cash yep. or any combination. And many times retirement accounts are earning very low single digits. Or if you want to go to a bank and, you know, get a three-year CD, you're going to get you know, decimal points, right? right? So this way we've worked out a mechanism where we have a custodian company, very large company out of Ohio, so that not only you now get double digit interest payments paid out quarterly, like clockwork, ACH happens on clockwork kind of deal, but more importantly, it becomes tax deferred in those cases because it yep. comes from retirement cash and goes back to retirement money, right? So. That's so important also because uh, investing in angel investing through a retirement account is very challenging because of the ERISA laws. So that this is a huge uh, benefit for the uh, investors. Um, I wanted to focus a little bit more on the founders and their perspective uh, because a lot of founders don't know about debt financing. Um, and if they do, they're, they're thinking about going to the bank and trying to get an SBA loan and that, you know, they might have to put up their house for as collateral or something right. to that effect. So tell us a little bit more about how the investors are, sort of, uh, how the founders are uh, approaching this and what kind of deal flow you're, you're seeing in that area. Yeah. So it, most of the time, you know, they need to know what their cash flow needs are but they also need to pay out on a quarterly basis. So they need to have some cash flow out so that if it's an early, early startup, pre-revenue, debt financing may not work unless it's a balloon payment on the back end and the investor is not going to like that. So if you've got some amount of cash that you can send out now, you're going to have to put out double digits to entice the investor. But in return, it's a whole lot easier to get that done. Right. right. Getting banks to authorize this kind of stuff. And in some cases, you have to be, you know, banks looking for some kind of collateral, like you mentioned, house or personal guarantees. We've been very 
smart about how to collateralize stuff. You can collateralize it with IP, you can collateralize it with uh, certain aspects or assets of the business, et cetera. We've been able to collateralize it with special items on the balance sheet. But if you go to work, if you go to a bank, they're not going to be, I'd like to think banks are innovative, but the reality is most banks are not, right? Right. Loan officers and the underwriters there are not paid to be innovative. They're paid to make sure the bank's getting their money back. So there's some amount of that. So I'd say, you know, I'm a founder. I think, look, I need a two million. Let's just use that as a as a bridge loan, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that way, what's the big plus for me as a founder? I'm not giving away my uh, any equity during that time, but I can wait till my my ARR grows, etc. This will now be a mechanism that allows me to do it. I can pay this the debt financer Sears back the money. And now I can go for a much bigger valuation. So there's a plus, right. plus, plus. But I think much of the market on the investor side and founder side don't think about it. Now, mm -hmm. there's clearly another opportunity for debt financing in a rev share kind of deal. Uh, most of the people who are in that business want the company to be much further along than a startup. The way right. we've done it is literally these companies are, are startups. So. You know, they've Absolutely. got some and, revenue, they're able to pay the money back, at least for the first three years, they're not going to have to pay the principal back. So it's it's a good term length kind of deal. Right. You just have to have cash ready to be able to pay the the interest part and then pay the principal part and balloon payments, right? At right. the end, we hope that what I tell the founder is the one thing you need to do is be sure that all those inflection curves you show us are going to be true, because if it's not, right. Both of us are going to be in trouble, right? Right, exactly. You can draw the hockey stick all you want in Excel, but right. you have to have a plan to execute on that. And the IP that you talked about, IP, we mean intellectual property. Um, that's such an important point of the uh, equation that banks really are not uh, set right. up to uh, uh, consider. Um, and IP could be anything that, you know, if you have any patents or anything like that in a right. product. Uh, and any code base, uh, you know, we, uh, I'm guessing you have mechanism to make sure that the code is unique and, and, and it's some, something right. that has a value also, right? So let's talk about the IP a little bit more, uh, expand on that. Yeah, so we have a company that actually bought out some IP from uh, some combination of a professor at Georgia Tech, right? Okay. It's a big IP machine out there kind of right. deal. It was in the area of robotics that drove sewing machines of all things. Talk about an old world and a new world kind of combination. Right. Uh, and so the company now as a startup owns that IP. And it turned out that they had gone through a series A. So they had an actual valuation in their series A Actually, they may have even gone through a series B kind of deal. And so the valuation of that IP had been done by very sophisticated investors, right? So what we pulled together was say, let's bundle that to get together and have it as a single collateral. We then put together a mechanism called a collateral agent. So somebody on the investor side, like me, needs to represent all of the investors. And so we have a collateral agency kind of deal that then has first rights to that IP that is known and valued in some, you know, IP is valuable. It's valuable. You just have to decide. We then discounted it by literally, I think, about half anyway, et cetera, right. because, you know, if the company's not doing well, we don't really want your IP. We just want our money, is really, <laughs> we tell them, right? But it's a mechanism that says, what's fair? 
right? Yeah. And we know that you know the company is not going to want to give us the IP. They'd rather give us the interest payments. So yeah. it was a win-win, but it became the collateralization. Right. In another deal, uh, we actually uh, have a mechanism where uh, there are boxes. Think of them like your Wi-Fi box in your home or a kind of deal. Uh, these ones are driving IoT infrastructure. They actually run on a different oh. kind of WAN out there, but they're instead of building big networks and towers, they're just taking little boxes, you know, a few hundred dollars, putting them into your house window, my house window, your office, et cetera, and collecting IoT uh, infrastructure and doing whatever work that helps the network and the cell and effectively these towers. So we get, we got smart about that. And we, instead of giving the company, again, a startup less than a year old, giving them the money, letting them go buy the boxes, we created the collateral is actually the boxes themselves. So instead, we became, instead of an investment company, we became a leasing company. Right. So we set up a separate LLC that goes buys the boxes and we lease it to the startup for three years. At the end of three years, they've already given us all our money back. They buy it for a buck. So there are right. there, there's innovative ways that you as a founder need to think about and we as investors, or at least in the you know, investment world, are more likely to think innovatively. Uh, you just got to find the right mentors and people who can point you at places like uh, you know, Ty that can help you and both sides think out of the box to find this win-win. Absolutely. And the, the other thing to realize is that, you know, a, a lot of times when we talk about debt financing, uh, founders tend to think about, uh, you know, hard money lenders. And you've just illustrated perfectly how this is not hard money lending. This is essentially you're becoming a partner because you're sort of helping them with the business. You're helping them uh, with the collateral, the IP, whatever it is. Um, so this is very different from you know someone who's going to come to your house and break your knees if you don't return the money back. So that that that's very important. That's why it's called to... hard money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's important to know the difference between debt financing from an angel group versus hard money lending. Those are not the same thing. Another project that you're involved we, with You is, know, to, to be honest, part of it, Daval, is that we've been in their shoes, right? When we raise yeah. money or whatever. So it's how do you think from their side? How do they think from our side, right? Yeah. Our side, is we have one very simple objective. Get us money back on time and in keeping with our IRR requirements. That's it, yeah. right? It's no, no harder than that. That's what investors want, right? Uh, how you run the business, et cetera, we leave to you. We can help you occasionally. From your side, you got to think about, you know, uh, or from us, I keep telling these guys, go grow the business. If you grow the business, more of, more money will come in. Right. Because once we sort of, and, and it is about people you know. One of the not wonderful parts of Thai is we all do business with one another. Why? Because it's with people who have the same values and people we know. It's exactly. a great network in that regard. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, no, it, it said, this is such an important thing for founders to realize. So I'm glad that you're, you're you you took the time to explain it to us. Um, the next project that you're involved with that I want to highlight is the Eleven Eleven Ventures. So tell us a little bit about how sort of that came around uh, and what the goal is for that uh, that project. Yeah, um, another board member on Thai had been had sold his uh, supply chain business. Uh, 
Um, and had been telling me about how he wanted to start a fund and he were talking to a lot of friends, et cetera, et cetera. And then I was, I sold my interest in my business. This is mid 2017, um, and was writing angel checks. He and I were sometimes on some common deals, et cetera, uh, more learning than anything than at that time. Um, suddenly he, he had put a deal into a media tech company, a large check and they wanted a follow-up round. So he said, you know what? And a lot of people were saying, how can we get into it? How can we get into it? So we opened it up to Thai Atlanta Angels. And in two weeks, we raised half a million bucks. Okay. You know, 25K at a time, a couple of people came in with larger checks, et cetera, et cetera. So we said, boy, there's a business model here. Right. Because we were not your typical VC or financiers. We really aren't. We're entrepreneurs, et cetera, who didn't want to become operators again. And so right. we said, let's create a model. And so in December of 17, we officially launched the 1111 Ventures to look for deals that were in that seed, post-seed kind of company. We did about a uh, stage. We did about 20 of those deals. My partner uh, and uh, the lead person who was sort of managing a lot of the deals got really intrigued by blockchain before it was necessarily in like today. Uh, and so our next 20 deals all became blockchain companies as it turned out. He went on to open up a, a very successful blockchain uh, fund that's probably the largest one in the Southeast at a couple of hundred million, et cetera. So we do a few common deals, but that's how 11 11 got started. And then again, there were some people who didn't want, couldn't, we closed the fund in, in weeks. I think it may have been six weeks. Uh, it's like incredible. Getting, well, part of it is, you know, when you, you've not been a financier, we don't have a track record because that's what people do. And our, our model became, we're going to put our right, our checks first. And then if you want to come alongside us, come along. So it was a different right. model than your typical VC firm. So we did that six weeks, enough people came in, we said, let's get it started. Uh, and it's been a great ride. Fantastic. And now uh, I believe you guys are moving into the IoT market, right? So, Correct. So it turns out uh, his son at age 11, uh, I think in 2019, got intrigued by this thing that uh, comes out of a company called Helium in Austin. Um, they're they're sort of, you know, building the IoT infrastructure. So he started uh, basically buying boxes from them, giving away free, et cetera, and then came to me end of last year and said, we need to raise lots of money because we think if you can raise $2 million, we'll be great. Uh, we've raised the $2 million now. He says, how about $20 million? They're growing so fast. <laughs> Got the deal. So that's where, in fact, uh, we've got a great, great deal where we pay our investors, we buy the boxes, we become a leasing company, double-digit growth again, fully collateralized, three-year deal. Fantastic, fantastic. Um, there are so many other projects. Oh, by the way, work. with the yeah. other upside of tokens. So we pay cash for the interest, double digits, and then you get an upside of tokens, which as you probably all know, that if you go look at other than today, uh, I mean, anything to do with crypto or tokens or whatever has gone through the roof. In, Delivering yeah, again, game. almost 2x of just that base, right? So. Absolutely, absolutely. Such a fantastic business. Uh, um, so. There are so many other uh, uh, areas that I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you about Thai University. Uh, I want to talk to you about the foundation. Uh, but I guess we're going to have to bring you in another time for it because I want to be mindful of your time. Um, one question that I always like to ask uh, investors uh, before I let them go is, what is the one thing that the founders must have 
before they get in touch with you. This is sort of the action step for the founder. So if there is someone listening out there today, um, they're just starting out, what is that the first thing that you you would ask them to get done first and foremost before they uh, reach out to you? Um, yeah. Give us that action step item. Okay. I think, first of all, they got to find out if I'm the right person to talk to. I think people just sort of go, you know, go talk to the Val, go talk to Mary, go talk to Sally. And sometimes you may not be talking to the right person. Sure, we at Thai look to help one another kind of deal. So we might be helpful, but find out if in fact your objective and ours match. So yeah. for example, in Thai Atlanta Angels, we say very clearly, you need to be revenue, post-revenue four to six months. You need to have collected half of the money you're raising in the bank, right? And you must have all your T's and C's clearly laid out with your lead that you're going to give to us. If you don't even know that, you're talking to the wrong people, right? Right. And you're wasting our time and we're wasting your time. And really, I tell founders, first of all, your job is to run a successful business. Raising money is going to take a lot of time. But if you raise it efficiently, it will allow you to focus back on your business. So I'd say find out what's important to us, you know, and ask. I think sometimes, right. you know, it causes a VC to think, boy, I got to now think through, you know, what is most important? <laughs> what's my investment thesis? And most people are willing to share. I think in, in this world, all of us are trying to uplift founders yeah. at this point, right? And, and now, you know, uh, the spray and pray uh, strategy should be banned because there's so Correct. much information, you know, interviews like this, yeah. uh, websites, all the information is out there, right? Yeah. So do your homework to where you know what we're looking for, make it an easy on us. And then the second part is make sure you tell a story that matches what we're looking for, right? Telling yeah. a story is a very hard capability for most founders. So. Absolutely. Fantastic action step there also. Uh, be able to tell a story around your business plan and not just uh, give us the facts. Facts are great, but the story is what really will connect and will, will really get you that interest. Um, so, Paul, thank you again so much. So, for coming and I'll tell today. you, like, I've, yep. just in case somebody wonders what's our, what, what do we care about in 1111? It's very simple. You're going after a big problem. Therefore, yep. there's a lot of growth capability. You have a capability that says you have a history of being successful, which means you can be smart and you can pivot. And number three is you know how to execute and you understand financials. And if it's not you, find another co-founder. So for us, we say those are the three things that to us are we need to find out very quickly because we prefer to say yes fast and no faster. Okay? <laughs> Absolutely. And if you put that in that first email or the first communication, uh, cool. then you have a home run on your hand, right? Absolutely. I'm getting a thumbs up. So, Paul, thank you so much for coming on today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Uh, let's continue the conversation. I'll ha probably have to have you over again uh, for another episode because of all the things that we weren't able to cover today. Uh, but thank you again, and uh, I look forward to talking to you, to you soon. Thanks for educating the world of founders and investors out there. Absolutely. Bye.